Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. And sometimes I think the show that we record before the actual recording would be better than what we produce. Do you guys agree? Because you have no pressure on your shoulders. You're able to just free flow and be the person you really are, not the guy that people think you are because of the podcast. And then and then once the limelight gets on me, I just shrivel up. Yep, you do. Just shrivel up. You're a great practice player, but you just can't bring it to the court when it matters. That's Chris Nee, uh, and he's talking into the microphone directly. I know people love it when I talk about the audio of the show, but he, he got scolded for the last one, so fixed. Josh, welcome. Hello. Hey, what's up? I'd love hey. to do the uh, publish the pre-show, but I think we'd get in a little bit of trouble. So, Or you'd get in a little bit of trouble. You should have heard the pre-pre-show. Woo! <laughs> Some Game of Thrones talk. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was something that we definitely deleted really quickly. Uh, it was like a – well, never mind. I was not going to divulge it. Anyways – Anyways, there's children in the car. Yeah, exactly. I'm remembering, I'm remembering the full scope of my audience. Some probably would have really appreciated it, but not enough. So we have a, a bunch of recruiting stuff to get to. We actually moved the recording of the podcast up to Monday. We usually do it on around Tuesday, but we did it because it was a pretty significant weekend for Florida State in terms of recruiting. That's where we're going to go with this episode. It's going to be probably 90 percent recruiting stuff. Uh, before we get going in, remember, rate, review, subscribe. We're only like 10 people away from 300 five-star reviews don't do the five-star reviews for me do it for chris or josh because you like those guys eminently better than me uh yeah so do that please if you if you feel so inclined and you have a minute or two because it actually does really help so guys don't look now but fsu's recruiting class is ranked number eight nationally it was actually number seven at one point but spring games and whatnot make everything very fluid so fsu gets two commits this weekend Let's start with, well, Josh, I'll kick it to you since the guy who got the commitment from is named Josh as well. It's Josh Griffiths. He's a three-star defensive end from uh, Bradenton IMG Academy. And, and well, I'll, I'll take it away. It was someone who had a lot of buzz on, on the Twitter sphere once he did pop on Friday. Yeah. Um, Josh Griffiths made his third visit to Florida State of the spring, of the offseason, I should say. He was at FSU's uh, junior day back in February and then made it to um, a pair of spring visits as well. So, He's a weak side defensive end. He goes about six foot four, about 235, 236 pounds. Uh, he's the 26th ranked weak side defensive end in the country, 93rd best player in Florida, and 705th overall nationally, according to the 247 Sports Composite Rankings. Um, he was a one-time Florida commitment. Got Things got a little screwy at the end of his deal with uh, Florida. I think it was in about November, December that he opened it up. Um, actually I take that back. It was right after the Nike opening regional or right before it in, in January. So he was a commit to the old staff at Florida, um, remained committed for a while under the new staff, but then opened things up. And really ever since he opened it up, it was all Florida state. Um, Willie Taggart jumped on him, started personally recruiting him along with Raymond Woody, who we have down as his primary recruiter. Um, and they just really did a good job of getting him on campus, making him feel welcome and eventually getting him to, pull the trigger. I think this was another one kind of like a Zane Herring deal where it was inevitable. I mean, Josh Griffiths was a layup. It was going to be, and it was just important to lock him down now so that the staff can kind of spend some of this time and energy on other recruitments. And also it gives a sense of momentum for FSU. I mean, Josh Griffiths jumping on board after the spring game um, and then getting Jalen Harold the very next day shows that FSU has some positive momentum right now on the recruiting trail heading into the spring evaluation period. Look at Josh getting ahead of himself, already talking about the other commitment. I don't know why I do a script. Yeah, I know. It's sad, man. I just Some named people him. just can't follow it. Uh, it wasn't a spoiler. Um, I mean, I, I think everybody listening to this podcast is very well aware of who committed over the weekend. Well, look at look at that little pivot there. Giving some credit to the audience. Yeah, Nicely exactly. done. We've got some informed fans that are yeah, into so. this stuff. You know, so FSU's class is sandwiched between North Carolina with the great Tim Brewster recruiting, probably taking seven to 12 tight ends in this class. And Georgia, who we all know is a recruiting powerhouse. And to some degree, rankings right now are kind of one of those things. That Duke I don't think. How? I just wanted to say, I thought we'd never hear it again. <laughs> trying to <laughs> trigger me? Yes. Um, rankings right now with classes are one of those things where it can be a little smoke and mirrorish. Some some classes are ranked highly because they have a lot of bodies. Some classes are ranked highly because they have a lot of really talented guys, you know, short list of really talented guys. 
I think Georgia's one of those that has really talented guys, while UNC's one of those that has a lot of bodies, just to give you an idea of where FSU falls in. I think FSU's a bit in between those two. I think there are good semblance of that. They've got some real good top-ranked guys. they got a couple guys who I think should be ranked higher. That, that starts with Jeff Sims for me. Steven Dix is another guy who I think at the end of the day is probably a four-star kid, currently ranked at three by the composite. As for Griffiths, you know, people ask, is it a good take? Yeah, I think it's a good take. He's a workhorse. He's a kid that puts forth the effort. He wants to be a good football player. He has the right kind of mentality to be successful as long as he gets a couple breaks here and there. I don't think he's some special, uniquely incredible talent. Like, I'm not trying to build him up to be that type. But when you're trying to rebuild the cosmetic of your football team, kind of get guys that are glue guys who can help you win games, I think Josh Griffiths certainly falls into that category. And they wanted him. As Josh mentioned, Willie Taggart heavily involved in recruitment. Woody was his primary. But everybody on that team, that coaching staff, was involved, especially on the defensive side of the ball. A lot of contact with Holland Barnett. His entire visit on Friday was with Odell Higgins. So there was a lot of work put in. It's not like it's a one-person pushing an agenda, trying to take a kid type of deal. That defensive staff was in on taking this kid. It's clear they want him to be a part of their defensive scheme and what they're going for on that side of the ball. And it's a position where they don't have a ton of great options currently, and they need some talented bodies. So I think he also fills in in that regard. And when you're taking this guy, and here we are, what, late April? It's not a bad take by any stretch of the imagination. You're coming off five and seven. You're not quite sure what you're going to be next year. You need it at the position, and you know he's got a lot of good qualities that should allow him to at least be a good to mediocre football player at the college level, if not better. Yeah, I think. I think I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, Josh. I think if you also look back at last year, and we when we talk about in hindsight the mistakes that were made for Ford State, I think passing on layups, Adrian Medley. Um, Hunter Rayburn, you know, were guys that FSU just wasn't, they didn't maybe love and they decided to pass on, but down the stretch come eight, 10 months later, you know, they would have loved to have those guys in the fold. So I think Josh Griffiths is that, I mean, you got to hit your layups. You got to hit your free throws. Um, Zane Herring was one of them. Now you knock down Josh Griffiths. Hey, if FSU goes out and wins nine, 10 games and they got um, pass rushing specialists knocking at their door you part ways with Josh Griffiths. Like it's not going to be that big of a deal, but I don't think that's going to be the case this year. And I think it's good that they're locking him up early, getting it out of the way. I think if you look at, and to Josh's point, yeah, they're going to be more talented guys out there, but with Griffiths, uh, if he's the baseline of your class, like if he's the bottom, which currently he is, you're yeah, the he's your rate, lowest ranked one currently. You're in a good spot. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a good threshold because you kind of know what he's going to be at the next level. I don't think his upside is, super high but i think he's going to do a few things well he sets the edge well he's strong he's long he runs a 4 7 40 yard dash so he's fairly athletic not gonna be an elite pass rusher but he's someone who can play in space defend the run like he he can do a handful of things well so yeah if you find yourself winning a bunch of games you know later on this this year and and you start getting more blue chip guys interested you figure it out then but i think he's a good player to have in the class for that reason because you know what he is and then secondly uh, he's going to bring value as someone who's active on Twitter and talking yeah. about the, the team. And that's now a couple guys at FSU has, maybe let's talk about that real quick, Chris, I'll kick it to you. But that that's something that we haven't seen in a while where you have Jeff Sims, you have Josh Griffiths, uh, and you have Zane Herring, all three being very vocal about the program very early in the recruiting process. According to the composite, those are FSU's three lowest-ranked commitments. Now, I disagree with Sims being down there it's in the cellar. Change. I don't think he is that sort of guy. But it's a fair point to make that you've got guys that are completely bought in as a baseline of your class, which is a good thing to have because guys who are bought in are going to make the effort to be good. They're not simply living off the superstar mentality of, hey, it's cool to wear Garnet and gold. So I think that does matter. And it's good to have vocal guys on Twitter. It, it's a fun competition that Sims and Herring are having, but it creates some fanfare. It creates positive momentum. It's a nice feeling. And it's good to have a kid of that age in the era of, of a kid that you're recruiting of the same age reinforcing what the coaching staff is telling you. Because a coach can tell a kid something 50 million times. But if he hears it from someone who's going through the exact same process of that as them at the exact same time in the exact type of scenario they're in, they're going to take that well over the adult that's in their ear. So I think it's very important. And Josh is a nice kid. He's an easy kid Thank to get you. along with. He's a hardworking kid. He's got a lot of nice qualities for what you're trying to kind of do, which is reestablish your product. Now, if the product suddenly becomes better, 
you can't upgrade. And that's not a knock on any kids. That's just a natural order of recruiting. But at this current time, FSU needs guys that are bought in. They need good football players and they need guys that are bought in. Chris, this is a uh, topic that's been on the message board all weekend. Do you agree with Josh Griffiths' ranking? We've, we've got I, I am perfectly fine things. with Josh Griffiths' ranking. I think he is appropriately ranked. I think he is a low bus factor, low superstar factor kid. I think he's very much smack dab in between those two things. I don't expect him to be a guy that goes to college and doesn't do anything. I don't expect him to be a guy that goes to college and becomes a superstar of a defensive squad. I think he's a talented football player who – has excellent strength, is good with his hands, is a decent pass rusher who does a good job of setting and holding the edge, who can be aggressive, who can get off blocks, but he also has some physical lacking qualities of he's not twitchy, he's not super quick. He, he's he got some good football moves at being a pass rusher. He understands what he's trying to accomplish. He just doesn't have some of those natural freakish abilities of a guy like a Brian Burns. And he's only been playing defensive end for like a year or two. He played inside. Uh, when he was with Baker County, is that it? I can't remember where he was from. He's from that Palaka area. area. Yeah. But wherever he was before he went to IMG, he was a three technique primarily. So he was pretty much playing inside. So he's still learning how to be a pass rusher from the edge. I don't know if that makes him super. Yeah. Not not everybody's ranking should be better just because they commit to FSU. Well, I think Jeff Sims should be ranked higher. I've now well, said that I think three or four times already on this podcast. But like I'm fine with St. Herring's ranking. I'm fine with Josh Griffith's ranking. Do I think they can both exceed those? Sure, definitely. But not everybody needs to be ranked higher. Some guys are sort of ranked to what the mean of their expectations is. Yeah, I I wrote on the message board something that Barton told me a long time ago when I was asked this week if I thought Josh Griffiths' ranking was correct. I said, yes, I, you know, in my opinion, it is. And the reason being is because Barton told me that when when kind of I the other thing is I don't look at the the position rankings like he's number 26. I don't get into all those numbers like how are you going to. He's 705th overall. How are you going to accurately rank 15, 2,000 kids in high school that all play different competition? This is kind of subjective. I just look at the star ranking. And to me, the star ranking, the way I was explained to it is a three-star is somebody that's going to come on campus in the first year or two. He's going to contribute on special teams, maybe get some snaps here and there in late in games. And at some point, he's going to become a, a contributor on the field, playing meaningful minutes, likely be a starter on that team, and then go to the NFL as, as probably like an undrafted free agent. And I kind of see, you know, Josh Griffiths playing out in that in that capacity. Um, I do think he's going to contribute. I do think he, he'll have a shot to to be a starter at Florida State. But I think right along those lines, um, he's a three star. So we'll see what he does his senior year. I know they'll because he has committed to Florida State, there'll be eyes on him. Um, he'll have an opportunity to improve or, or change his stock. But I think for now, heading into the spring summer, I can agree with his ranking. And being at IMG, he's going to be seen a lot. Yes. So if he deserves to be ranked higher, he will. He will. I think we should be really concerned about his ranking right now and worry about it every single day. Well, people My ask brother who hates I mean, recruiting always tells me the only time he cares about rankings is when they sign. I think that's a fair uh, way of going well, about it. That was a good – your brother's very sensible. Yeah. yeah Plus the other thing with rankings is so much of it changes – with summer camps, a little bit with senior film, and then a lot with the all-star events, especially at the higher level of rankings. And we look at the composite, too, and that means other websites and publications still have to update theirs. And, and yeah. yeah, but Like Josh said, it's nope, all very Nobody does rankings great. I do hope that this year, from an industry standpoint, that rankings are done better across the board. Mm-hmm. I thought last year was pretty poor in that regard, and that's all separate discussion. But we need a company like – because, you know, it's 247, which now has absorbed Scout – which ES- probably contributes to some of the rankings being a little wonky. Yeah, ESPN week. and Rivals. And in my opinion, there's some people that work at other companies that aren't particularly good at ranking kids in certain areas. And well, there's other companies that don't have enough people working yeah. for them to appropriate. I mean, how many people does ESPN have at this point that are actually out evaluating yeah. talent? Two, three people? Yeah, and that's sort of the issue. ESPN used to have a really talented team. A guy like Craig Hobart is outstanding at doing big men. The issue is they don't have enough bodies. The way the composite works, does ESPN's grade carry similar weight or exact same weight? It's an an algorithm, so it's not truly an average because I once called it an average and I got an angry text from higher up. Well, because it takes into account like where he's ranked position wise among the three. Like there's some sort of where it's just not a straight average and it takes into account some different things. I don't think it weighs the companies differently, though. 
No, it does not. I think they're all equal. You, you know, it's late April when we spent five minutes talking about. I was told there was going to be no, no math on this test. <laughs> all right. Move on. FSU less than 24 hours after getting the commit from Josh Griffiths gets another commitment uh, from someone who's ranked four stars <laughs> for those who care. That's uh, defensive back Jalen Harrell from Miami Central. That's a Telly Lockett special. Uh, is he a safety? Is he a cornerback? Is he just a football player? Chris, you're smiling. I know this is your this is your wheelhouse. This is what you were born to do. What is he? For Harlan Barnett, he's 100 percent a corner. Okay. I love turning guys into safeties. I see why the discussion is there for Jalen to be a safety, 6'2", long. You know, the turn's not super quick, but he is a very good corner when he's pressing. He's very good at kind of being physical enough. I wouldn't call him a killer, but he's physical enough to get away with it. Very good ball skills. Excellent player. That commitment was fun because this day and age, very few commitments kind of come out of nowhere. And I wouldn't say that came out of nowhere. But it was it was a surprising commitment. He had not really given an indication prior to about two hours before he was committing that he was on the verge of doing so. He hadn't been to FSU since late March when he took a multi-day visit. It didn't seem like a recruitment that was yet, you know, at the penultimate point or on the verge of being concluded. Penultimate. See, we are talking about Game of Thrones here. And yeah, it's it's a good get for FSU. He's a very talented kid. Really likes Telly a lot. I don't think it's completely put to bed. That's probably some of the South Florida kids rubbing off on me. You know, that I've covered in my life, but I think he's pretty happy to be a Seminole. Yeah, I completely disagree with Chris. I think he's going to be a safety on the next level. Um, 6'2, 180 pounds. Um, I think he's more physical than he is quick. I'm not quite sure. I know, like Chris says, he likes him jamming at the line um, and his physicality at the line of scrimmage, but ultimately, I'm not sure if he can run with the top uh, wide receivers in the ACC. I also think Florida State needs help at safety, and I'm I'm all for um, giving Harrell a shot at corner. But ultimately, like I said, I think he lands at safety. I just don't I just don't see it the same as Chris. Um, big commitment. I know some people think, oh, another DB. But when you look at what FSU has at defensive back right now, after this season, there's a lot of question marks. And getting guys with the range at six foot two, 180 pounds, like Jalen Harrell. He could come in and make an impact. Um, maybe it is at corner because he's needed there more, but maybe it's at safety where we don't know really what FSU has going on back there um, with guys like Cyrus Fagan, and we haven't seen anything out of some others. So I like the pickup. I think it was an important one and gives FSU even more momentum. It's a nice DB class joining McKnight, Tate, and Dunson. and it gives them four really solid commitments in this class. You know, even if you wiggle and you lose one of those, you probably keep three of them, add one more down the road. It's a position where you always want to take at least three to six bodies in a given year. As long as you keep that consistent, it's going to fall somewhere in that range. And I think FSU's done a good job early on of getting that. I do like Kendall Dennis a lot. I think if there's one more DB they pursue, it's probably him as of right now. Well, I think it's worth noting with the defensive backs Chris just mentioned, the guys who are currently locked into Florida State, you can have the conversation with almost all of them that they can play multiple positions for Florida. And I I don't think that's a coincidence. I think McKnight's a safety. And I think Uh, Dunson's a corner McKnight as a star linebacker, which I know is kind of the safety, but But we're talking about him playing up closer to the balls. I agree. The other two, the other two Tate and uh, Harold, I think a hundred percent, you can have that conversation that there's a lot of versatility. Heck Tate could play on the offensive side of ball. Mm -hmm. Truthfully, he could play receiver, Mm -hmm. but we got to have the tiebreaker. Corner of safety snow. Oh, um, I don't like being put on the spot. So here, here's what I, I know. This is well, why did I did you do the film break. Do you want me to do one word or do you want me to do a long way? Say corner or say safety and move on. I can't do it. Do it. He starts off as a cornerback, but we moved to safety after a couple of years. I told you one word. That was, I tried your hard work following instructions. I I do think there's something to be said that you could have the conversation for him when you're talking about like positionless football and, and how that applies to getting these versatile defenders. That's something like Jimbo Fisher was pretty ahead of the curve on. Uh, and I think he, he, he erred in not always getting like pure cornerbacks, which is something you have to be cautious of. If you're going to be getting these guys, you can do a little bit of everything like, Getting someone who can play outside at a high level is is important. Um, well, for every derby he took, he took a um, with the Vikings now from South Florida, Xavier, Xavier Rhodes, Rhodes, who was a receiver. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. But what I like about Jalen Harrell is like you can have the conversation of what he could play 
and and make a, a legitimate point each each side. Like I see him in some of his some of his uh, highlights. Like he can turn and run with the receiver downfield at that size. To be able to flip hips and turn and run is important. Issue is you don't see that a ton on the video. I don't know if that's a matter of just him not doing it a whole lot or just not having a great staff to put together a highlight tape. I don't know. Uh, I know when we talked to to Zach, uh, well, I, I texted Zach, our intern, the other day when they got the commitment, asked what he thought because he had seen him in person. He's like, in person, I thought cornerback all day. Uh, and then you watch the highlight video, and he looks more like a safety. And I agree with that. He looks more comfortable coming down. Yeah, to Zach posted on his Twitter the clip of him going against Jones Bell, who's one of the better you know, slot-type receivers from South Florida. Jones Bell is sort of the Jerry Judy of this class in South Florida, in a lot of people's estimation. How did he do on that? Jalen did well. Yeah, I, I think when you have a guy who's that size and seems to show a little bit of hip flexibility, like you got at least get him a try at cornerback if it doesn't work then you know he at least has the mindset to play safety it's a good problem to have so yeah hopefully he's a guy that florida state can hold on to because right now he's the fourth ranked guy in their class and and seems to have a decent amount of upside and you can see certainly a, a path to him being a really i looked at his his wingspan i know this is getting into the nitty-gritty but like it looked at his wingspan compared to some of like the guys in the nfl right now and there's a a website out there that i think it's three sigma something i don't know that that shows percentiles He's got a 78-inch wingspan, and I think that would be an 87th percentile of guys going into the NFL year over year. I mean, so you're talking about an 18-year-old with NFL length already. So there you go. Worth taking. How do we feel about the – let's see. I feel great right now. All right. One other thing that we want to get you, to. You wanted to ask about the board going forward. We want to talk about yeah, spots, right? Yeah, now what? Let's talk about defensive backboard and defensive end board. Uh, kick it off to who wants to go first? For me at DB, it's Chris. Dennis is the other guy, Kendall Dennis, right now, unless they emerge with a more elite target down the road because success allows that. Is there anybody else at DB you're thinking of, Josh? No, I agree. Uh, I, I think uh, you put the big brakes on recruiting right now, especially heading into the evaluation period. You know, there's going to be a guy emerging that's like six foot one and 185 pounds that nobody's ever heard of playing corner. Um, so I would just wait. Um, if you want to take Kendall Dennis now, you can. Like I said, the same same thing with the the Griffiths uh, scenario. If FSU goes out and wins nine, ten games and shocks the world, then then you just keep recruiting better players over the ones you got. Um, so if Dennis wanted to jump in now, go ahead. But I think just wait. Hold off. As long as you can. Shocking the world. Jesus. I mean, at D end, it's after Griffiths for them. As far as guys are in a good spot, what is Chance Williams, who's yeah. more of a true like outside linebacker? D end. If they're gonna stick with this three four look, he's perfect for it. And then uh, Elijah Roberts, who's a South Florida kid, that it's well, pretty much them in Miami right now are kind of the battle, and they've done a good job of getting both of those guys on campus several times, and they're in the thick of it with both of them. But I wouldn't say they're the outright leader for either of them, but they're certainly in the conversation. Well, so they have me, work to do at the end. I think you got to separate the board, though. I mean, when you talk about a Chance Williams, who's a top 100 player, and you put him in the same conversation with Elijah Roberts, who's a you know, the 395th ranked player, um, in completely different body styles and, and ability. The top of the board right now, if we were going to do just a complete overview would be Reggie Grimes, Chance Williams, Will Anderson, and then Elijah Roberts, would you say? I mean, are there, are there more than like four or five guys on the board at defensive end that, that we know have some sort of interest in FSU right now? No, and I mean, you mentioned Reggie Grimes, and he's a guy that just put out a top five or six, but at the end of the day, he's probably going to stay home at Tennessee where he lives, or he's going to go to Alabama where I believe both of his parents graduated from. His father definitely played ball there. So he's a guy that, well, he likes FSU, and he's putting him in that list, and he did visit him during the spring, which Josh can attest to because he sat on a bench for hours and got <laughs> nothing out of it. Reggie Grimes isn't a guy who currently in the state of affairs in Tallahassee is a realistic option and, for FSU. And I think and Will I love Anderson, some Will Anderson. And I think he's trending in that direction too. I think we're seeing him looking at Auburn, Alabama, uh, maybe a Georgia, but you know, right now it's kind of, when was, when's the last time he was on FSU's campus? He's been there in 2019, right? He came with Kevon Glenn for that first junior day, which was back at like the very end of January, very start yeah. of February. They came together. He had a good time, enjoyed he felt it. Really he's good. A guy that he had visited with Glenn in December when Glenn got the offer and committed to FSU. So he's been there twice in that like forty-five day span. 
but he hasn't been back since. He's taken several visits in between. The fact that he never stepped on campus during the spring season was a little tough. disappointing. He's a guy that if you don't see in the summer, you start feel like it's slipping away. The one saving grace is him and Glenn are very good friends. Kevon Glenn, FSU signing, who will be here this summer. They are legitimately very, very close friends. It's not one of these teammates who kind of like each other deals. They are very close friends. So FSU may be able to kind of play that angle and get them there a time or two. But he's a guy that the ranking is starting to catch up to what some people thought he was, including myself. And he yeah, is certainly that. And the, right the status of schools pursuing him is going to follow suit. So then when we look at who FSU's realistically in it for, I mean, they, they are definitely realistically in it for Elijah Roberts. We saw him and his family visit for the spring game. I spoke to him afterward. He's going to return. FSU's definitely on his mind. Um, but this spring is going to be very important to add some more realistic names to this board and also maybe get out and make sure Will Anderson makes it to campus in summer. But at this point, you know, I, I feel like FSU is still on the outside looking in for him. So it's going to be telling to see who, who they, who they lay their eyes on. And maybe we see a handful of new offers at the position as well. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, Chance Williams, is he number one on your top 10 most wanted or is yeah, he's been sitting uh, you know, I think I have Rivers at number one just because offensive tackle is always the, the priority. But he's number – you could put those guys at 1A and 1B on yeah, my and, list. And they're they're truly a package deal. It will be very surprising if they don't play college ball together. They're mm-hmm. essentially brothers. Um, I believe Jalen's family has helped raise Chance through the years, so they're extremely close. Um, but Chance to me is hugely important, especially if they're going to continue with this trend of going to 3-4. Because so- – Bottom line, though, the people want to know, Chris, where does FSU stand for Chance Williams? Where are they sitting right now? What are I the- think them in Florida are uh, in Miami have always kind of been the trio for him. While he looks at other ones, Ohio State's been in there. There's some others that he's shown interest in. It's always come back to those three in-state programs, and he's been to them a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, truthfully, the last time I had a really good lengthy conversation with him was the Orlando Nike. And I'm going to see him here in the, the next week or two. I plan to go over to Oakleaf and see him and Jalen. And uh, last time I spoke to him, it kind of came off as though the staff at UF is the one that he likes the most. He feels the most comfortable with. He loves Odell Hagens at FSU. Odell was the first coach to offer him. He's known him a long time. They get along great. But it seemed like UF, as a collective, had made a stronger impression as solely Odell for FSU. I think if FSU wants him, they have to maybe show that effort of the entire staff diving all the way in on trying to land him, which maybe they have done since that conversation. But at that point in time, it wasn't that. You know, Mullen was doing a better job than other head coaches. And Odell was doing a great job for FSU, but he was kind of standing by himself in that conversation while he was talking about Mullen, Hevesy, other members of the U.S. coaching staff were mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I remember that day you you told me he was he mentioned who was recruiting him and he mentioned four head coaches plus Odell Hagens. And it was like, well, damn, it'd be nice if he could get some backup there from the head coach, which probably has happened by this point. I mean, that was back in January. So. Um, I'm eager to see what those two have to say when you make it over to Oak Leaf and talk to them. And I'll be out on the road, too. Um, I text with Coach Crawford over at Pinellas Park. Um, FSU is expected to see Lawrence Toa Philly this week, so I'll get out there and see him and see some others in the area, including Josh Griffiths. Make it down Again, to Iowa. jumping ahead on the right, right. I'm, I'm taking I'm taking control back. I gave you two the wheel, and you – Freaking drive! I didn't do it. Don't, don't want me in with Josh. I mean, Brent, you could just you could just let your hands off the wheel at certain points, and we can just. This is drive. like when I get emails about the Big Three roll up, as though I have some say or control in the Big Three roll up. It's like <laughs> incorrect, not the case. I don't control Josh. <laughs> you, I get the same ones, and I act like I I have some sort of control over it. But yeah, yeah go ahead. There's, there's two different scenarios, Josh. <laughs> All right, with recruiting, this is what I wanted to stick to. Uh, Chris, you put in a crystal ball, and I want to talk about the more immediate stuff with recruiting. You put in a crystal ball for Richie Leonard. Yeah, I feel like they're trending pretty well there. I don't think that's some let's, state let's secret. Let people know who Richie Leonard is for those who don't. Coco offensive lineman, could play guard, could play center. Uh, big body kid, really likes FSU. Been there several times, come up with his parents a couple times. Uh, was committed to Kentucky, backed off that commitment here in the last 72 hours or so. 
and FSU and Miami are two that are definitely in it. But I think FSU's positioned themselves pretty well with him. He definitely likes them. Um, you know, he, he's tossed around the idea of switching his commitment on visits from Kentucky. But it was pretty clear when he backed off that he's one of those guys. And he's one of those guys that Sims and Herring have really bonded when he likes them. They get along well. Tate Johnson's in that category, too. They're all talking. So right now, I think FSU has a slight edge over the competition for Leonard. Crystal Ball's been on Leonard for a little bit now, right? Yeah, March 9, I put one in on Leonard. Um, like Chris said, the opening up of his recruitment, um, I think we're kind of – I think we're in the – warning zone we're in commit watch for richie leonard at this point i think it's safe to say he jumps on board this spring i would be surprised if it if it makes it into the summer with him but we'll see he hasn't set a date yet josh is so sullen and sad now after we uh we took took away his his vision for the podcast i'm just speaking when spoken to <laughs> all right one other guy that was i was asked to mention and that's uh all-purpose back Jalen knight knight from uh, deerfield beach uh, Zach asked us to mention this as a fluid situation. Fluid. Josh, what do you think about it being a fluid situation? Well, I think I put the first crystal ball in for night into Florida state um, the day that he visited. So did he snap his suspenders when he said that? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have suspenders, but he, he ruffled his bandana around. Uh, his forehead. So I think While watering the flowers. I think that night is just waiting on the right moment. Um, you know, these kids, um, they love their, their edits and I think he's got to get all this in line, but I think we see him end it in May. I wouldn't be surprised if he also starts maybe a domino effect of backs in the state. Um, maybe that is even going to result in another one committing to FSU in the, in the next, you know, month to six weeks. Um, we mentioned that they're in good shape with Knighton, but they're also in very good shape with Kaziah Holmes who named FSU their leader, who named FSU his leader. Um, Lawrence Toa Philly is another one in Jaquavius Marks out of out Atlanta area. So I think, um, Jalen Knight and jumping on board first could, you know, we could see some dominoes fall and maybe not just with Florida state, but around the country as well. Cause Knighton is truly one of the elite backs in the, in the country this year. I just enjoy with Knighton that Zach, who's done a phenomenal job since he started doing this stuff with us that like the whole, I might change my date. It's just like he's starting to get those experiences that you have to deal with doing this job, and it's kind of fun to watch because we've Dude, all been there. We've all done um, that. You know. Don't Knighton and Zach go to the same high school? No, I don't believe so. I thought Zach went to Deerfield. No. No, he just he's there all the time. He's, okay, In fact, so I think he might be there today. So. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah, it is funny to see him kind of experience some of the things and – take kids at their word for the first time. And then when kids go back and change it and see Zach be like, well, wait, he told me. And we're like, yeah, this is just how it goes. Zach. I just, it's like me sitting at FSU on Friday and Griffiths leaves. And he's like, I didn't commit. And about 14 minutes later, we get a ring ring and it's like, okay, good times. But <laughs> it, it's just how it is. It's it is how edit, it, man. It's, They're always waiting for the edit. Yeah. <laughs> I was at my barber on Friday and was talking about, I forgot what we were talking about, like internships and stuff like that. And, uh, and I was just talking about how proud I am that we've really made Zach salty and negative in like a year. Like we've really all three. He's not negative. He still has some sun beaming out of those. He he does, but it's not quite what it was before. We've really beaten him down a little bit. And I think that means we've done our job as mentors. And now a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back. Chris, that was really impressive. You just took control. <laughs> this is Chris's podcast now. All right, Josh, now I'm going to kick it over to you. Talk about the future of FSU recruiting, please. Trail, what was it? When did the coaches start? They're on the trail now? They're allowed to be on the trail now. But they're not they're going meeting yet, right? today, so Monday. Visits. I believe some are flying and driving where they need to today. I don't know if kids will actually be seen today. Sounds like most of that will start tomorrow. Hand off to Josh. <laughs> yeah, uh, the spring evaluation period actually opened last week on April 15th, and it goes all the way through May 31st. 
Um, schools get 168 evaluation days. However, you can only see each prospect two times in total, and that's only one time per week. So you got to remember, if FSU goes and sees Josh Griffiths today, right, they're probably going to want to be at a spring game. So they won't you they'll save that second visit for the very end of the spring. So just because FSU doesn't go see a kid this week, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the priority. It just means that they might have something planned where, hey, I want to go see him when he's in pads or I want to go see the Saturday scrimmage and then go back for the spring game. So um, there is some strategy that goes into just when you're going to go see the kids. Um, let alone yeah, it also not to cut Josh off yeah, completely like I am, but, but you did. it also involves the coaches. If there's mm-hmm. a particular coach that wants to see a kid right. outside of the area recruiter, sometimes they'll hold off on the area recruiter while he's making his round, seeing that kid, you know, say it's a receiver, um, you know, just Michael, Ray, for example, yeah, there you go. they may not send Woody to IMG, which is his primary school. They may wait to send Dugans to see Redding, but Dugans may be in Palm Beach to see Brian Robinson because that's his area and one of his guys. So it might change their schedule. So there's a lot of moving pieces on the table that they have to worry about. And, it, and it's about, you know, and it's also about sometimes getting two or three coaches in there at the same time. And that's a lot of work because well, you're bringing guys from different areas. It's not like they travel in packs. Yeah, but sometimes you have to do that. For example, if you're going to go to IMG, right, and you say you sent um, uh, Odell Hagens today to go see Josh Griffiths. The moment that Odell Hagen steps on campus to see Josh Griffiths, that counts as one visit. Um, for example, David Kelly or Ron Dugans can't go to IMG the next day and see Michael Redding because FSU stepped on campus that and made their one visit, and it encompasses all of the recruits. Just because FSU was there to see Josh, now they can't go back that week to see any of them. But so, they could all go together on the same yeah. day for it to count as one right. day. So a place like IMG, it's probably important to bring in it, more than one coach because that day is very important. It's very valuable. Um, and you can also have multiple contacts within the same day. For example, if Dante Pimpleton came and saw Toa Philly on Tuesday and stopped in at his school during the afternoon to get some transcripts, he's also allowed to be there that afternoon to watch practice and all that counts as one contact. So those are just kind of the explaining some of the intricacies of the spring evaluation period. And like Chris said, the coaches hit the road today. We're unsure if they'll actually be on, on campuses today, or if they're just getting ready to go see recruits tomorrow, but they have plenty of time and only 162 visits to do anyway. So we'll be covering it. Who, who are they supposed to be? Are they supposed to be seeing anyone on campus coming up or no campus happen? visits will really die out during this time. One kids are practicing themselves, including right. a lot of Saturday practices. So that kind of kills the ability to get out. And two, the coaching staff would much prefer right now to be on the road, seeing kids evaluating, evaluating especially yeah. certain positions on the O line. I think Randy Clements wants to see a lot of these kids in person. Mm-hmm. He wants to get a feel for what they look like in pads, moving around, doing that stuff. That's very important during the spring eval period. So, there may be a few kids that slip in here and there because of travel plans or something else going on. But no, I, this past week when they had, you know, six, seven kids in over a week, that's the last real big yeah. rush you see before June. All right. You mentioned Randy Clements. That's something that wasn't on the script. I'm going to throw a curveball. I forgot to completely put that on there because it happened late last week. And that's the Randy Clements contract was out. The, the big news was Florida State's only paying five, no, $50,000 for to Miami Houston. to Houston. Yeah. I think that was significant because there was going to have to be much more than that possibly at one point it was a game of chicken which kind of created some really bad optics at the time with waiting that late i still would contend that you can make make the case i think a lot of people went to the side of this looks great for florida state they won financially which they absolutely did a long term though though what's the you know what are you paying in terms of public relations or optics of looking like okay we can't afford to pay this this doesn't look good that we're waiting this long to make a hire. Uh, you're trying to fix this offensive line, and that narrative is out there. I, That's more where I fall in. If yeah. they had pulled the trigger, paid the buyout, which I don't recall exactly what it was, it would have been like half a million. Yeah, it would have been like four hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, so a healthy chunk, line. obviously, yeah. far more cash than they have to dole over now. But say they did that when they hired Kendall Browse in late December. Mm-hmm. They moved on from Greg Fry immediately. Got that done. I'm interested how the O-line recruiting during that short period of January to February would have played out. Me too. And I think that's – it's not possible to quantify. No. We're playing a guessing game here, but – Who knows think, what Ira Henry 
Who right. knows, you know, who else did they get Lamar at the Bell gun? They didn't get. Right. Um, I don't know. That Is there a difference. different guy that may have emerged, that may have come in? There were some guys that we saw them targeting in that stretch, and it wasn't necessarily Greg Fry targeting them. Mm-hmm. That you could tell were the fingerprints of somebody else, whether that was Bryles and Clemens or just Bryles, but it was clear it had that feel. It would have been interesting how different the pursuit would have been down the stretch. And there's no way of truly knowing that. For me, that's one thing that goes back. I'm glad they saved money. It's a good thing. Finances they, they are important. Right yeah. But at the same time, it, it's it's not a clean cut, just simply a win because they saved money. There's a lot of different scenarios that played out in that situation. But at the end of the day, from a buyout standpoint, they won the game of chicken solely in that regard. Yeah. And I'm not sure they had any other options with the way the, the financial books are right now. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the podcast, but We'll get you going off script. Uh, I mean, no, that's a tease. I'm not completely diving into it. If Newberg went off script, you went off script. (laughs) Pointing at me right now very, very aggressively. I don't remember my point. Basically, (laughs) (laughs) here it is. <laughs> it doesn't take much to get me off. Uh, oh god, that didn't Pause. sound right either. <laughs> Never mind. Done. Move back on the script. Let's Who knew those guys go back to the Game of Thrones podcast? <laughs> Jesus. Let's talk about the NFL draft and Brian Burns because the draft is a few days away. This is the least we've probably ever written about the draft, Chris. Because <laughs> pretty much there may be one guy, maybe two taken: Demarcus Christmas and Brian Burns. I can't imagine there's anyone else. But just for a little bit of historical contact context. The last time Florida State had only two players drafted was 2016. That was Jalen Ramsey uh, and Roberto Aguayo. Part of that is the year before was that 2015 draft, which was from the 2014 season, where Jameis Winston, Mario Edwards, Eddie Goldman, P.J. Williams, Ronald Darby, a lot of guys left early because they had really good college careers. Some would say great college careers. The last time FSU had one guy drafted, 2009, that was Everett Brown in the second round. So, Chris, I'll kick it to you, but I think it's just worth – well – let me ask you this. If FSU only has one or two guys drafted, is that more of an indication of the talent that's been accumulated over the years before Willie Taggart got here? Is that a, Or is that because of the losing from this past season and not having a lot of guys put great film up? You fully expect me to just say yes. Well, we, we pre-planned this portion. But of I'm not guys. going to. <laughs> For me, it's about development, and that's not incriminating solely upon the current staff by any stretch of the imagination. They were handed these guys with a short period to try to develop into NFL players. FSU at some point, basically after that group that left, that, that heavy junior group, the one prior to Ramsey and Aguayo going into that, at some point around that time, development within this program went to, you know what, it went really poorly. And I don't know why it happened. I don't know if it was, you know, systemic of the players kind of just falling off and putting in the effort because they thought for whatever reason when they walked in the door here they were going to find success, or if they recruited the wrong kind of player, or if it's, you know, a Valoria issue back then, which I think certainly is some of it. I think there was some there was a lack of respect being given by players to Valoria for very good reasons, and that hurt them in that regard. I think it's a collection of those things, and I think it's now showing the fruits of that that there's just not a sweat equity equity that's gone into these teams in recent years. And the development has been poor ROI. And, and some of the guys that, yeah. And some of the guys that we expect to be those kind of dudes just simply haven't achieved that point in their career at this point. Well, in, and part of what, when you look at the NFL caliber talent and Josh and I were talking about this on the phone, like a week or so ago, how many guys right now you look at, regardless of class, but you say project to be NFL players? What did we say? Maybe ten on this roster right now. Well, I mean, think about Josh. It. Oh, I'm sorry. That's I want to. He's. I need to get. I him. forgot Josh was here. As a producer, I need to get Josh <laughs> semi involved here because I can just feel feel him checking out. Uh, yeah, I think. Um, well, it's kind of hard to say because we did not include the incoming class. It's just way too early to project. You know, the pros Correct. on that level, but. Yeah, I think to piggyback on what Chris said, there's something weird that went on in 2015 with the development. But now to 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 kind of make matters worse, while they they weren't developed by the previous staff, right now we're not seeing elite talent being recruited. Um, maybe they're better developers, but you know, just starting out with the raw talent, we're not seeing FSU in competition for number one players at the position. Whereas number one players at their position have built this program everywhere from, you know, Timmy Jernigan, Eddie Goldman, um, 
Jalen Ramsey, uh, you know, the list goes on. FSU was landing number one players at their position. And then, yeah, the, the development stunted the growth of the program. And now I think you're seeing maybe recruiting at the elite level is not there. So it's going to be an interesting um, couple years on how how it all shakes out because they got to start recruiting better. But you also have to develop better. I mean, look at the current roster. Marvin Wilson, to me, is a sure Num- part, Oh, bro. there's a number, another number one player at his position. Cam Akers, number one player at his position. Yeah. Kalen Laybourne, number one player at his position. But with Laybourne, you got the injury concerns. Right. Can't, Joshua Kando, like, would he be drafted based on what he's done right now? He's a creative player, but what has he ever done in his college career, really? I mean, that, that's not a knock on him, but he hasn't just this, hasn't this done feels much. super sports talk radio right now. But it's, it's fine. true. It I love Kando. It I think Joshua Kando is capable of being elite and special. But he has never been elite and special in his FSU career. Right. And it's that's just why it's important to take. You can't just sit back and, and recruit one good player at the position. I mean, even if you're just landing five stars, every five star isn't going to pan out. Every four star is not going to pan out and every three star is not going to pan out. So you got to start landing more elite talent at the positions. Landon Dickerson, not a guy who's probably NFL capable, can't stay mm-hmm. healthy. Some of it's bad luck, too. Um, Tamorian Terry is probably an NFL guy. I he's would, got some things he's got to work through, but in he, general, he's an NFL guy. This is a money year for him for sure. Um, that's that's a thing that this is. And I know he's only played for a year, which great job redshirting him. And you could have probably used him a little bit more in 2017. But I digress. Uh, Stanford Samuels, yeah, he has to have a good he has to have a good season here. But he's yeah. someone that projects as such. Asante Samuels' height's going to be an issue, but I think he may be able to put together nice enough nice film at a big time program at you know in Power Five football where he'll be okay. Jaden Lars would be, you assume, as someone who will be drafted as long as he keeps trajecting at a good rate. Dontavious Jackson? Uh, maybe. 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 Um, maybe. In today's NFL. I mean, I think like, he's I a think better he, version of Northrop, and that yeah. that's a very simplistic view no, of No, that's it. fair. But I think he's a better version Reggie of that. Northrop. Drafted, yeah, though. he got a sniff, but he didn't get drafted. Yeah. I mean, Dontavious will be a high-priority guy, but he, he he could be someone who gets drafted. So how many names has that been so far? Eight or nine? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we have to see what happens with the, the incoming freshmen and development with other guys. Like, does Corey Durden turn into someone who can play in the NFL, Robert Cooper? Those are guys we probably haven't seen enough yet to make a fair evaluation. I guess my point being, though, is you know, you're looking at where it was three or four years ago, maybe four or five years ago at this point. The talk it, of an NFL factory. Yeah. And for it to drop off this significantly certainly is an indictment on the current coaching staff. I, mean, I think it's they, far more incriminating on the prior staff personally. I, for sure. Agree. I think we're all on the same <laughs> They're the ones right? that recruited and signed all these kids. And, and developed. It or like some developed. of them for a year or two as well. Yeah. So, yeah, of course. It, it also comes down to leadership, though. Think about some of the guys that should be in this draft class for FSU. DeAndre, horrible leader. Nooney Murray, not a well-rounded human being. Mm-hmm. Patrick, pretty good dude. The production just wasn't there last year. Mm-hmm. Who else should be in this draft class for them? Auden Tate left early. Left early. That was unfortunate. Izzo left early. Yeah. Um, down the line here. Burns has lived up being what he was expected to be. Yep. And credit the current staff for that because he had a really good freshman season, dipped off some as a sophomore with what was a pretty toxic atmosphere. Uh, partially, he's an athletic freak, but they put him in position – to do well. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a coincidence. That's him understanding what he had to do, but they let him pin his ears back and be a really good pass rusher. He produced for them, but they, they saw his talent and did that. So that, that's a, there's, I give them credit for that. What I was getting to in my point more though, is there's an environment that needs to be created, right? Both competitive and just, you know, that generates a good feelings, effort, sweat equity, working it hard, doing it in the off season, doing it in practice, bringing it all the time. And at some point, that for this program disappeared. Josh, does it weird you out when Chris says sweat equity? I love sweat equity. It's a weird thing to say, and he said it a couple times. Guys who work hard tend to be good. Guys who work hard tend to maximize their ability. Sweat equity. Josh, sweat equity. All right. So, so Chris, are you saying you want to see more off-season workout filmed on Twitter? Is that what you're just saying? Shirtless photos? <laughs> Please more because I could bolt in and gets us a lot of clicks. So, yeah. No, I, I don't need that. I just need a team that you know there's buy in and that guys are working hard to be as good as they can be. And then you also need them when things go poorly. And this is a topic we've discussed many times. When things go poorly, that they don't, you know, bottom out and just 
they can't handle it. And that's happened too much in recent years. At some point, this program to some degree got broken with regards to the mental structure of how they go about their business and how they handle their business in the moment. And those things are things they're trying to fix currently. All right. One last topic that we have. Chris is uh, feeling himself today. I like it. <laughs> he's bringing his A game. He's got his coffee going. He's swag, swag, swag. All right. Season tickets. There was an article out in the Tallahassee Democrat over the weekend uh, and, and summed up basically uh, interim athletics director David Coburn sent out a letter to uh, about 2,500 former boosters asking to renew their commitment to the athletics program. Uh, and, and that specifically applies to uh, football season ticket holders and, and donors and, and people in, in that area. This is something that we've known for a little while that that ticket sales weren't going great. Uh, Chris, I'll, I'll throw it to you here. Uh, there's a little bit more for this story too that they have Paul was a Paul Phipps. I'm looking at my notes here. Paul Phipps yep. and he has experiences like a marketer for the NBA and NASCAR helping out. Uh, I assume is like on a um, like a contract like a. Um, I know the word you're, you're looking not, for. No one's going to help it's me out It's Monday here. morning, you're, you're, man. I'm okay, sorry. You're I'm all struggling. Let me hang out here. I'll think of it in a minute and just scream it out. But uh, anyways, they're – Consultant. That's it. Consultant. Sorry. Yeah, that I, boy. It's Monday, man. Well, let me – I should have kicked it to you 20 seconds ago. This is why we do avoid, things on Tuesday because I don't wake up till Tuesday. I avoided all of this. Go for it, Chris. But I think this is them putting out – they have issues and they're not hiding behind the issues. This is the long and short of it. Yeah, I think that's the correct way of looking at it. This is one of those things that has been discussed a lot behind the scenes and has been known by a lot of people up the food chain that for the last couple of years, they, they got the bump last year of new coach, new year, new feelings, and that was all positive. But the general – direction of booster membership and buy-in by the fan base and financial input by the fan base has been dipping. And that's an issue that a lot of colleges are facing. FSU is just in a predicament because one football funds so much of the entire pie for them. And two football is not very good right now. It's as bad as it's been in my lifetime. So they're dealing with that currently. And I think this, this particular article, the way Coburn's going about doing it, the information that Phipps is sharing I think it's just very much we're going to be upfront about this. We do need your help. We're asking for your buy-in. We're asking you to believe in the long-term plan, not short-term results. And you know they're going back to those people that once were part of the pie, and they're also looking to add new pieces to the pie. And I think it's a smart strategy. It's not fun to see. It's uncomfortable. It's not great to know that the university that you know you hope does well is currently struggling to some degree with finances from a standpoint of how good it could be versus how it is. But I think it's not, it's not a cry for help. It's not a matter of begging for people. It's a matter of just being straightforward and honest and talking about financials in a public manner. But it's also, I mean, very telling with college football in an era where everything's kind of inflated. I mean, they even inflate the number of actual people at the spring game. You know, this is not something. How dare you? It was full. This is, I heard there were three times as many people at FSU spring game as Miami's. Well, that's probably true. I mean, it's not something that you you want to admit, you want to take public, especially when the two most important things, like Chris said, to, to increase funding, winning football games and scheduling good home games just aren't there. Um, you'd like to, you know, if you're selling anything, you'd like to have kind of a product to sell. Um, I think all the boosters that have weathered this storm have been have been great and they've been funding the program. I think it's really tough to get out there and admit what's going on. Um, I also wonder, you know, they said they they brought in a hundred thousand in new revenue, and that event veteran sports event marker Paul Phipps is helping guide the organization's sale efforts to mobilize FSU alumni. He's helping. Like, does that mean he's volunteering or are they paying him? Like, how much are they paying this guy? I'd like to know all these things. Well, you can FOIA that if you're interested in it. I can show you how to do so later, Joshua. <laughs> Consultant. Well, I mean, I, if we're going to talk about a topic, I mean, I'm not truly interested in it. Not have actually sent out an email. If we're going to spend time talking about and discussing this topic, then, I mean, that's something I was, I was interested in. He also said, you know, FSU is doing a lot to improve the image and the vision and in and, and these things and marketing and, I tied that directly directly into the discussion we had last week. Is FSU social media important? I mean, this article in the Tallahassee Democrat saying image and vision and all that is very important right now. 
Um, so I think that what we talked about last week almost ties into this a little bit. FSU's efforts on all fronts right now need to be working at an optimal level. And that's why we, I agree with that wholeheartedly last week and more cohesive. And I, and I will say I, from what I've seen and what I've been told, like, I like that, that David Coburn is, I think he has a good grasp of that and understands it. I like that. He's straightforward, understands weaknesses and is trying to fix stuff, but he's, he's largely, handcuffed by their financial status and that was kind of something he inherited and he's trying to fix a lot of that he's yes correct he's being he's he's being asked to fix and sometimes that's not going to be pretty i don't think this is necessarily solely a florida state issue i think you look at attendance everywhere we've talked about that before on the pod and i think most of our our listeners know from i mean that's just a popular narrative throughout all sports so it's not just a florida state issue but because everyone's dealing with trying to get butts in the seats, uh, you have to figure out ways how, how to do so and how to create a product that people want to come see. That's not just on the field, but that's you know, the Champions Club was an example of that. Now you got to get other people involved, too, and, and, and enhance the game day experience as well. Yeah, the fan experience needs to improve at FSU. The way things are operated need to be better. Things need to be fine-tuned. I got a, I got a question for you guys. Was the Champions Club a success? Uh, long term, yes, I believe it is and will be. It doesn't look great on game day, though. Uh, again, we're talking about optics, and, and FSU has an optics problem right now, and I think that was that's part of that falls into it when you look at the attendance numbers. It it doesn't look great from our vantage point, like in the press box, like it looks bad, and that looks bad on TV when you see it. But uh, I think FSU would consider that something successful because they want to build some long-term stability with people who would be able to spend for those sort of yeah. tickets. I think FSU would consider that a success for what it's worth. One, it helped make the stadium smaller, which is actually something that is needed. And two, there was enough buy-in at a percentage rate that financially it made more money than those seats previously would have made, from yeah. what I understand, from and what I've been told. The unfortunate thing, like what I was saying when I was harping on the fact that you know FSU hasn't won games and they don't have an exciting schedule – None of that is Coburn's fault. So maybe no, in fact that he's getting out, it, since it's not his fault, maybe he has the ability to get out and be honest with people and say, like, these are tough times right now. Uh, and he is doing everything he can to fix it. Like, you can't just go out and schedule a great home home uh, series within the next couple of years. Even. Yeah, you, you can't. Miss- it's going to be a 2030 or whatever. Yeah. It is for well, Georgia. that's what I mean. Scheduling so far in advance. I mean, it's hard to do it in two or three years down the road, let alone this year. So he's completely handcuffed. So I'm not blaming him at all. Like, don't get me wrong on that. I just think that he has a really tough task right now because he doesn't have much to sell. Well, one thing that I think is important, and I'm going to kick it over to Chris for this, because you talked about this before on the podcast, and I think more so on the message board, um, this was a while ago when when Stan Wilcox left and and there was chatter about like okay what what is FSU looking for for an athletic director? Initially, boosters the people that made people that mattered wanted a someone very experienced in that role, which they hadn't done the last couple times. Someone that would be very uh, forward thinking and someone who would be the a face of the the athletic department who could take on that role and, and earn a lot of money on booster tours and whatnot. Cause that's a something they, capable public speaker, unlike the last guy. Well, yeah, for sure. And that's something that they didn't have, not just with Stan, but I mean, they since Dave Hart, they haven't had it's that. It's been a while, man. It's been, it's been since before I covered the football program starting in 2013. Um, they haven't had it. That was what they wanted. That obviously changed. We've covered that, that, you know, David Coburn's going to be here through what, a year and a half, two years or so. Probably till Thrasher steps down. Most people think those two will coincide and that each other. the next president will be allowed to hire his AD. But think about the, the pivot there of what your vision was. And all of a sudden now it's someone who's more going to be very, very well versed in numbers and looking at the macro and micro, but not really someone who's going to be the forward guy of, of he's. This isn't his strength. But I, I think Coburn has done an excellent job in this role. And this isn't I, me trying to brown nose. I think so, too. I think he is cleaning up the mess to allow the next guy to execute a plan instead of coming in and having to clean everything up, remodel the shop, and then do what he wants to do. I think it's more about allowing him to have a launch point when the next guy is hired. That's what I think so, too. But I'm just talking about – I think about how different it was from what they originally expected. And then all of a sudden you open up the books and you go, oh, well, we got to fix it. One's a things. utopian thought and the other one's reality. Right. Right. So that's that's where we are now. And again, I think that kind of sticks to, to what David Coburn has done well, which is be realistic. Yeah. He's pragmatic. Be realistic. And I, I think he's doing good. a good job of rumor control. The, this was a direct message of 
you've heard the whispers of us losing boosters, us losing donations, financials. Here's the real story. And I think that's what it is. It's about rumor control. It's about being up front. And FSU needs to be better at communicating well with their boosters and working on rebuilding their booster foundation. All right. So we think this was something that maybe doesn't look great on first glance, but at least somewhat of a positive step towards being transparent, which is something that we have. Honesty is refreshing. Yeah. All right. Joshua, anything else? I had a question for you, Brendan. You're more of a journalist than I am. Just a hypothetical. Is it, is it, uh, I can't be a booster at Florida state and cover the team, right? Like that's not a ethical thing to do. We're not Auburn, you, so we don't really do that. <laughs> well, I just I get the calls all the time about being a booster, and I've I've always said like I don't think I can do that. I mean, I the, steer clear of it as an alum of the school. I don't do right. it. Um, yeah, but it's and it's a and it's a fine line too. Like Chris will take his kids to go see a game. I'll go to a no, baseball yeah. game sometimes. Like that's a I'll line that's, that's I mean, I'll go as a you know a quote unquote fan. Like I've gone, yeah. I've had people take me up to. Different games, Clemson games, Notre Dame, things like that. So, um, I, I think I just I just always wondered. I just felt like it was a place I didn't want to go. It didn't feel like it was ethically. You this know, is going to get us off topic, but I think the whole, the whole the you, you you can't no the whole like you can't support the program you cover thing is a load of you know what and is an old school thinking. You need to understand how to be critical and praise something at the same time. But you can also appreciate it. I have a job because Florida State has athletics. That's right. how I make and my living. I'm going to put two kids through college because of Florida State athletics. I have no issue going to a softball game and clapping my hands for Lonnie Alameda because she's done a good job. Plus, she's an exceptionally nice person off the field. She's enjoyable. Well, I get a but lot if her of- team's slumping, I'm going to be able to say they're slumping. Like that's the I. I don't think I should be a booster. I think that's a line that you can't exceed. But at the same time, like I'm not one of these people that like, oh, you you can have no general feelings towards. Program. I like the FSU basketball program. You know why? Because I like the people that run it. I like the kids that are part of the team. I enjoy covering them. I think we covered that in previous. Yeah, parts. you do. I do. But like I, I'm not one of these people that think you have to part with all of that at the door. I think you need to cover things in a certain manner where you do it just right. Can, well, let me throw this out there. So I went. I think we all took taken different road paths to get to where we are now. I'm all sitting here. You're a UCF homer. I'm a UCF, <laughs> but like I went to Wait. journalism school, right? And, and so that was, and I grew that was up beaten into your head not to do that, right? Correct. But as I've done this with you guys and spent more time, like my work, my wife, my wife, my wife works at Florida State now. I am own a house in Tallahassee. Like I've covered FSU now for a while it's become clear to me. It's like some of that is going to be natural that you're going to gravitate towards liking the people you cover or that you work with. And that's going to be a very natural part of it. Um, we were taught about, you know, in journalism school to not, to not have conflicts of interest. And more importantly, because you can't always create the conflicts of interest you have to eliminate even the, the appearance of conflict of interest. So that's just as detrimental as actually having a conflict uh, at this point though. Like, and I've, like I've said before on the podcast, like I didn't, I grew up really respecting Florida State's football program, Bobby Bowden, and watching that. Like my second grade teacher was a huge Florida State fan, and that's what got me into football. Uh, and then I say, oh, you know, but I didn't grow up a diehard Florida State fans, and people get all bent out of shape on that because. Again, but you didn't. But I didn't. And, you can go back and change that. That's not a bad thing, and it's not a good thing. It just it is a thing. But like people, I guess people are going to look at your background, your experience, and how you cover a team currently. However, they're going to see it through their own prison. There's not much you can do to change it. All we can do is cover the team as objectively as possible. Yeah, and also, like, I, I deal with a lot of college coaches, like, a lot from all over the country. And um, especially after whenever Florida State's doing well or, after they say, after they won the national championship, I got people saying, oh, I bet you were partying. You were probably celebrating. And, you know, my reply to all of them is, like, yeah, I'm proud of my university. Like I graduated from Florida state and they just won the national championship. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what they've done or what they've accomplished and all those sorts of things. So I would, you know, it kind of shut them up They're, I, you know, they all graduated. Everybody's graduated from somewhere, yep. whether you're covering college football or if you're even coaching in college football, even the coaches had to have graduated from somewhere because you got to have a degree. So I think it, to an extent, when you break it down like that, it's completely understandable. We're all humans. And at the end of the day, this is just sports. It's not politics. It's not life or death. Like this is just sports. And it's fine to be, you know, proud of your university or support your university. 
And there's a fine line too. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen people in the press box be legitimately angry when the team, when Florida State like doesn't play well. You can't. That's the line you can't cross. You well, have I to think be, we've just been doing it for too long to feel that those type of emotions. But that, but that is part of. I think when emotion starts, it's one thing to have yeah, a, a natural reaction to something, but then when it starts dictating how you cover a team and how, like. Like people will criticize Josh for being emotional for liking a coach or something like that. But he this isn't like he's writing about it right off the cuff. Like he's thinking about it for days before he writes something. So it's not an emotional. But I'm also response. just emotional. It's not even about a coach. It's just me. Well, <laughs> he's an emotional being. I'm, I'm just still stuck on the fact that Josh had to say that I'm more of a journalist than he is. Like, screw what? you, man. <laughs> I, have, I have a business degree, Brandon. I have a business degree. You have a journalism degree. You are more of a journalist. Than I know. That's why, why did it even have to be said? That's like the one thing I bring to the table here. <laughs> Nothing else. No one else likes me on this podcast. No one else likes me on our website. The one thing I do is that I'm there, supposed to be a there journalist. There are people that like you because you're good enough. You're proud enough and doggone it. People like me. Have you been saying that in the, in the mirror every morning, Brandon? No, I should probably do more positive uh, yeah, affirmation stuff. That would probably be really helpful for me and in, in, integrate it into my daily routine. Other than just watching a bunch of YouTube videos all day when I'm not working. So, all right. This podcast has gone off the rails. I threw away the script five minutes ago. Thanks, guys. I'm trying to be more organized and more dutiful. And this is where we are. Chris is wearing an FIU shirt right now. Homer. Go Panthers. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>